Welcome to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri. And I'm John. So John, today we look at a documentary about golf, but we really focus a lot on psychology, specifically the psychology of choking under pressure, really just losing your cool when the pressure increases. And the documentary is called Shark. It's about Greg Norman, historically great golf player. John and I go into lots of different topics, but it's all sort of related to Norman's career and how Norman just struggled when the pressure increased. So John, you know, what stood out to you about our conversation or the documentary in general? Um, I think, uh, yeah, the psychology part of it, uh, choking, they go over how, um, Norman was like a, kind of like a rising star with golf. And, um, like when he was young, you know, people were like, Hey, watch out for this guy. He's really good. And they, they talk about how he had a lot of success, but, um, there were a few majors, like the big, you know, golf tournaments that even if you're not a golf fan, like you've probably heard of, or may, might be aware of like the masters or uh, the British open. And he had, um, he had some notorious uh, choke jobs, and I think that um, that's kind of what they really dive into, you know, like the kind of the psychology behind it and the collapses um, and how they've affected them and stuff. Maybe not as much as how they've affected them, but he like goes back and kind of, you know, goes back to the masters and to that course. And, um, you know, they they break down like each one of those collapses. And, and I think that's the thing that kind of stands out to me is just trying to figure out, you know, like, hey, was he a victim of bad luck? Was he all up in his head? You know, really what what led to those kind of epic um, collapses, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's a great documentary, by the way, even if you're not a golf fan. I'm not, by the way. It's okay to me. John loves golf. But great documentary. Really fascinating to see the the temperaments analyzed, like Norman and uh, Nick Faldo, who was sort of his rival, who had a completely different temperament from Greg Norman. So it's really cool stuff. I think you'll like this podcast. If you like psychology, we talk a lot about psychology and relate it to Greg Norman's life and career. So before we go to the main show, check out our new Class X podcast blog. So if you type in the classxpodcast.wordpress.com, it's a WordPress blog. Again, the classxpodcast.wordpress.com, you'll see a new blog from John and I We uh, are going to be kind of going back and forth on various topics. It's a conversational sort of blog. I have already posted one one article about the Sacramento Kings. So if you're into sports, you might want to check that out. But most of it's going to be John and I just going back and forth, discussing, just like we discuss on this podcast, cultural issues, sports, film, TV, whatever, articles. And so we'll be doing that on the blog as well. So please check it out. If you like the podcast, I think you would love the blog. So thanks for subscribing also. And if you haven't, leave a five-star rating. So thanks for listening to the Classics Podcast. We're going to talk about Greg Norman, psychology, and the psychology of collapsing under pressure. Thanks for listening. We'll see you after the music. Welcome to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri. And I'm John. So, John, today we're going to talk about a combination of things, psychology 
and golf. And it may not make sense to you now, but I think after we discuss this topic to the listeners, this will make more sense. Uh, John and I watched an excellent documentary, which I I think we both really recommend. Uh, It's a 30 for 30 called Shark, and it's about Greg Norman. He's a famous golfer from the 1980s, 1990s. And uh, you basically, you get his life story, which is kind of your traditional sports story. But what separates this documentary is the psychological focus. And most of this podcast is going to focus on that. So if you like psychology, specifically the psychology of choking under pressure or underperforming when the pressure increases, I think this would be a good podcast for you. So I just want to start with this, John. You're the class X golf expert, and you've been playing you know, golf for a long time. You've played many sports in your life. What's your experience with choking under pressure? And did this documentary kind of match your experience? Um. Yeah, I think it depends on if you're talking about like what kind of pressure. If it's, so I think there's a different thing when it comes to giving a presentation or something, um, you know, like in an academic environment versus like sports. And um, I think the hard thing with golf, kind of like when we talked about it, was I think the thing that makes it such a, a thing that's susceptible to choking. Like if you watch a major um, down the stretch, there's, it seems like there's always at least one guy who in the last couple holes, you know, just like, uh, takes a horrible shot. And I think that the reason why is because in other sports, you're reacting to stuff. Like if you're playing baseball and you're at the plate and the pitcher throws a pitch, you're just kind of reacting to what you see, you know, versus like in golf, you're just standing over a ball and it's just all up to you to initiate the action, you know? So I think it's really easy um, for you to get in your head. And I think that that's why, you know, there are a lot of, uh, you know, stories of choking, you know, not just Norman, but, you know, like we're talking about that Norman doc, but um, in golf in general. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't know that until you said that. So basically, Norman is not, I mean, would you say he's an outlier because of how many times he choked or is he sort of a common thing that you see in golf? I don't know, because um, I can think of a lot of like kind of singular incidents, you know, like there's a guy named Jean Vandeveld who like totally melted down in a British open on the last hole. Um, it's kind of like similar to the movie tin cup where the guy just keeps hitting the ball in the water and just keeps taking like ill-advised kind of shots and just totally melted down on the last hole. Um, it's happened to Jordan Spieth um, in the masters where he had like a, a pretty good lead, I think, and um, just kind of choked it away and just dumped like some, some horrible shots that, you know, you'd see like your buddy on the weekend, um, you know, hack. And uh, so I don't know though, if anybody has had like, it's the same guy having the same problem, you know, kind of like a Chuck Knobloch in baseball, you know, like where he just can't throw over to first or like Nick Anderson with free throws in basketball where he just like all of a sudden had a mental block and couldn't hit him. Um, I don't know because so much of the, of the Norman, like the story behind all the choking kind of predates my like kind of like awareness of golf, you know, cause it was pre tiger. I think 96 was the first year the tiger was in the masters. Mm. Um, I can't remember if he was like an amateur or not, but the next year I think is when he like smashes the record and, you know, um, you picture him like going and hugging his dad and all that stuff. I think that was 97. So anything that kind of predates that I'm really not that aware of. Yeah. You, you mentioned Nick Anderson and later on in the podcast, I'm going to have a list for you of the most famous chokes in, in sports history. And he was actually on that list. And it's funny because I think for okay. our generation that comes up probably one of the first NBA finals that we watched and I mean, or maybe the fourth or fifth, but it's early in our, in our lives. 
And that Nick Anderson, you know, free throw catastrophe really sort of uh, – it, it, it was in our culture for a while, I think, especially if you're a sports fan. For me, I think – actually, I think of myself like Nick Anderson. I think of free throws. You know, when I would play in a City League or any kind of league, I would get really tight when I would shoot free throws. And as the game progressed, I would feel the same way. So I actually do feel like it's similar to the comparison – you're giving, you know, with free throws, they just got to me. And I, I think it's similar to golf. You're standing there, you're stagnant. You're not really, there's no motion. And I, I think the lack of motion, you mentioned it in, in our in our blog, which by the way, if you are interested, this is a good time to plug it. John and I are starting this uh, Class X podcast blog. We actually started it a few years ago, but we're, we were bringing it back. And uh, the website is theclassxpodcast.wordpress.com. So pretty easy, theclassxpodcast.wordpress.com. And um, so check it out. It's going to be like extended conversations with me and John in uh, in a blog form. So I think it'll be it'll be pretty fun. And we actually John mentioned in the blog free throws and the lack of I think you said standstill as, as the term that you used. And to me. It's funny because I was thinking the same thing. The lack of motion with free throws would cause me to choke. But if I was, if we were just running a play at the end of the game, I was fine. You know, it didn't really affect me. Yeah. So I think that is a golf. I think golf would lend itself to choking. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. I think anybody who's uh, anybody who plays golf like knows that feeling of the first tee because you'll have like a few groups, you know, that are kind of like waiting to tee off and stuff. So even if you've never played in like a sanctioned, like a regular tournament or something, or had anything like really on the line, uh, just going up and hitting that first tee shot when there's, you know, a handful of golf carts that are staring at you, like it, you do feel it, you know, like you, you, like it's, I'm sure it's a very micro, micro version of it, but it's the same. I'm sure it's kind of the same type of feeling. Yeah, I, I agree. So John, this, uh, this doc discusses the various meltdowns that, that Norman had, that Greg Norman had. And before we get into them, I just want to ask, you know, what stood out to you about his mindset during the meltdowns? Because that is one of the takeaways that I got from this. His mindset was not what I would expect from a professional. What did you think? Yeah, I think it's always hard to, when you're asking somebody to tell their own legend, you know, it's hard to like take that as like, oh, that's exactly what he really was thinking at the time. You know, not even like that it's like a, an intentional thing that they're trying to like, you know, tell the story. Um, it could just be, you know, over the years you think about it and you think that's what you thought and who, you know, like the kind of stuff that can go wrong with memory. Um, but I felt like he was really honest, like with a lot of stuff where it seemed like he was just like, you know, this is probably the most likely thing that was going on. And this is what I thought. Um, but I think that when you heard from people who interacted with him around that time, like, I think the really telling thing was, uh, I think he's like a um, like the lead for CBS Sports Golf Coverage or something like that, or at least he was at one time. I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but he mentioned that he got a phone call from Norman because there was like a correspondent who said something, you know, that oh, I saw some holes in in Norman's swing, or he he talked to a uh, God, I can't remember his name. I should remember his name, famous golf coach, but I said that he said that there were some holes in his swing and that he could see. It wouldn't surprise him if he, you know, had a tough day the next day, like on the final round. And Norman like called the guy and said, hey, what's up with this? Why are you airing this? And was really mad about it. 
And then the guy said, you know what? Like the fact that you're calling me right now is the most telling thing about your mindset going in. Like, why is this on your mind when you're going into the final round of a major the next day? Um, so I think that was kind of like the, the tell that there really was um, something going on in his mind. And it wasn't just like a, you know, oh, well, this guy happened to hold out a sand shot, you know, and that was, you know, luck of the draw that I think there really was something going on with the mental. Yeah, that stood out to me as well. I remember that scene very well. It was very, it was odd, odd to see a professional get angry about something as random as an analysis saying that your swing had some holes in it. You know, he should just be like, what does this guy know? You know, he, that, that would have been, yeah, you know, most athletes attitude, actually. I was thinking that, you know, we always talk about growth mindset in, in schools now and in our culture. And Norman sort of had the opposite. He had a fixed mindset. He was very superstitious. That was interesting, which I guess athletes can be, but his superstitious beliefs are kind of like the golf gods are, are cursing me. I'm paraphrasing right now, but he, he had this feeling that he was almost cursed. And, you know, I, I just wasn't sure initially, is it Norman or were his opponents just having these crazy shots, which did seem to be a thing in the 1980s with him. But as I started to watch more of it, I think it was a combination, but leaning towards Greg Norman just because of the mindset. I, I can't imagine, you know, an elite athlete having such a fixed sort of superstitious mindset. But I do want to say, like, if you watch the documentary, it does seem like his opponents had some amazing days, too. <laughs> you know, that was that was definitely part of it. I don't know, John, what do you think? Before we go to our first break, was it Norman having meltdowns or was it like guys like Nick Faldo having superior performances? Um, I think it was kind of going back to the same. Um, I think his last name is Costas. It ain't Bob Costas, yeah. but it's something. It's Peter Costas or something. Maybe is his name. It's a name that if you watch golf, it's very familiar, even if you can't like really put your finger on. But he mentioned, you know, he's like, hey, yeah, those guys did hit amazing shots to beat him in the final round. You know, it happened like three times that they kind of focus on um, in the documentary. And he but he mentioned that, you know, you had to shoot like four over on the back nine to even leave that door open. You know, you had to you had to kind of melt down yourself to even like leave those opportunities out there for somebody to take advantage. And so uh, the shots were miraculous. And it, if you watch golf at all, like you'll recognize them, even if you couldn't say what year they happened or whatever, they're very like kind of uh, like familiar looking celebrations, you know, mm -hmm. like the, I, I feel like I've seen the Larry Mize one a bunch and like the guy who's jumping in the sand trap, you know? Um, but yeah, it seems like it, it is always Norman on the, on the end of it, but I think like like the guy was saying that you you had to play horrible down the stretch for that to even be in play. I, I agree. All right, and so you would lean more towards Norman. Yeah, Norman Norman with a little sprinkling of uh of you know like bad like miraculous. Yeah, stuff. because I imagine in golf, I'm not a golf fan, but I, I, there's always going to be crazy shots, right, in every tournament. Yeah, I think those ones are particularly bananas, yeah. you know, um, and they and they go into the dock like so even if you're not super into golf, like they still they they describe what makes those shots so tough. Um, but yeah, I do think that they were like they were 10 out of 10 bonkers. But but at the same time, if he just would have played, you know, par golf, you know, down the stretch, you would have been fine. But he would see those 10 out of 10 bonkers shots and then he would internalize it as if this meant I'm cursed, you know. Whereas yeah. if, if Michael Jordan saw a guy 
make a half court three point shot at the end of the third quarter, he'd just be like, okay, you know, I, he, he wasn't going to be affected by that. Norman was. And I think that's what, what separated him from golfers and athletes who make it to another level. So let's just take a quick break on the Classics podcast and uh, we'll talk more about this documentary and the psychology of uh, choking under pressure. So we'll see you in a few seconds after the music. Welcome back to the Classics Podcast. So, John, let's talk about his big rivalry. This is the Nick Faldo Greg Norman rivalry. And Faldo was the opposite of Norman in, in so many ways. He's this conservative guy. He uh, didn't take risks as a player. He also seemed to react well under high-pressure situations. So he was literally the opposite of Norman. What did you think of the rivalry? Um, It was news to me, you know, because all I know uh, Nick Faldo as is a guy who's on TV, who's, like, really good at, you know, doing TV. Um, and it's just kind of like, I know that, I know that he was good back then. I know that he won some majors and that he was a good player. Um, but it was kind of before I kind of came online as like a, you know, a golf fan who knew what was going on. And I just knew him as the guy who, for some reason, doesn't wear a hat. He's like the only dude on the course, uh, with no hat, great head of lettuce. Like if you're going to be the guy, the no hat guy, um, you better have, you better have the locks. And, uh, he did, but, um, but yeah, that, I mean, that's really all I know about him, to be honest. Like when people were saying that, oh, he was conservative on the course, or whoever was describing it on the dock, that, like, to be honest, that was all news to me. I didn't know. Well, I think his presence seemed to affect Norman, the, the choking under pressure. And they, they were clearly saying this Faldo being this cool, calm assassin, like they were describing him. He really impacted the play of Norman. I just think the segment is a big reason why I like this documentary. It's all about temperament and psychology and what made Norman so great, so dynamic, which we should say that. Like he was this really dynamic golfer. And maybe you can add to that like from a golf standpoint, because I can't really add to it why he was dynamic. But that father was the opposite. And I think what made Norman dynamic also made him cave under pressure what made faldo so maybe boring and consistent also allowed him to be cool and calm under pressure so to me i just thought you know what i was thinking about this as i was taking notes and i want to ask you which career would you choose faldo or norman if you had a choice um i don't know norman was living the life like they were showing the uh (laughs) He almost seemed like Ric Flair. I like, wrote yeah, that but... down. I, I told I was talking to my brother Musa a second ago, and I was like, "You should watch this documentary. Greg Norman is Ric Flair. Same gimmick. Yeah, I think right down to like, the hair. Yeah, the the like super blonde hair. Um, helicopter. Yeah, like all the the helicopter, the cars, you know, all that stuff. Um, I think that would probably be a fun life to live. And I think that like he he did really well off the course. And he's actually pretty relevant now because he was like, not the chairman, but kind of like the face of the live golf. Um, I don't know like exactly what his title is, like the president or something. Um, but he was kind of like leading the charge on leading the charge on that. Um, so if I had to pick a career, I pick Norman, except for the swing is really weird. 
like it doesn't like as a you know as the official golf correspondent of the class x podcast (laughs) i'll put my analyst hat on he looks very like uh he has a thing almost like a reverse pivot if anybody who plays golf or like you swing and you actually lean back through your swing it's something that you see guys who are totally trash like do and he just looks very kind of narrow and just kind of like i don't know like there it doesn't uh it's not a very aesthetically pleasing swing well and we should but, uh, we should say yeah. i will say objectively i don't play golf but john played in college so he is a college golfer so john understands right. the game a little bit more than right. you know me who's just watching it and observing it but i i'd go with faldo personally i just think about this you know Faldo seemed well. He won the championships, right? He and then you know Norman yeah. did win championships too, but Faldo won big championships, and because of that, Faldo just seemed like a content guy. And if you think about Norman, although I like your your points about Greg Norman, he seemed like he was still struggling. And I know you wanted to mention something about this, but he seems like he was struggling, especially in the second half of the documentary. He was very emotional about his career. But you could tell that those losses still affect him. And Faldo, he's he's just loving life. Yeah. Yeah, I think when he's talking about the – he makes a statement very early on in the doc about, um, you know, I'm as much a part of the history of this place as people who have won it, you know, if not more, more so. And when he's kind of walking through there, there are a lot of traditions with the Masters where if you win, I think you can play until you drop dead. Like, you get to come back and keep playing if you want. I believe. I think that, like, maybe that's the British Open I'm thinking of. But you'll see some names, I think, on the Masters. Where, like, that dude is still around. And um, they'll go there and they'll shoot 80 and go home. And uh, I think that, like, you also get to go. There's, like, a lot of kind of perks and stuff, you know, kind of things that are, like, like, he mentions the dinner thing where if you win one year, then the next year you get to pick the menu and stuff. And that's kind of, like, a big thing. And I do think that. When they show towards the end of the dock, when they show the guys putting on the jacket, so the uh, they show Jack Nicholas, who was the beneficiary of one of those meltdowns. You know, not that he didn't play great, but he did. But he's putting the jacket on the next meltdown um, uh, beneficiary, which I think was Mize. I think off the top of my head. Um, then you kind of feel like he should have been at least one of those guys. You know, in that, in that, and I think that that probably does. You know, that has to probably eat at him, just like with basketball, Charles Barkley or Dan Marino in football. Like, even if they had the career, they have the money, you know, people recognize them as like one of the greats. It still would have to kind of like eat at you that you didn't, you know, get all the way there. I think so. So and we have we have to talk about the 96 Masters because I'm not a golf fan, like I said. So but each tournament was really new to me. So that was fun to watch. If you haven't seen these tournaments the documentary makes it feel legitimate and and significant. So you're watching it. You're not sure what's going to happen. But it did seem like, you know, as I was watching, many of his opponents were making special shots. That was mixed in with Norman having his standard meltdown. But 96, that was tough to watch. I really found it cringeworthy. It was cringeworthy stuff. What, what did you think of that historic meltdown? Because it seemed insane to me. Yeah, it's cool to see it uh, presented that way, and like uh, as part of like a documentary where they're um, 
kind of explaining what happened because like i know of that happening you know like in the same way i know that you know babe ruth called a shot or something like i i know that it existed that it happened or i don't know if that happened actually or not um but you know like you've heard the story before you know it but to see them kind of go blow by blow hole by hole and tell you like oh this is where he double bogeyed here this is where he did that um it is kind of it wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be because it seemed like early on in the round like he kind of started blowing it you know so I think that like when it happens late, that's when I feel worse, you know, but, but it was still, uh, still pretty bad. Yeah, that's true. It, it was early, early on that he had the, uh, the meltdown. And so it was kind of like you could, you knew what was going to happen. And I, I guess they make the argument that, you know, cause he was playing side by side with Faldo that, that played into it, which goes into his mindset. It goes into how fragile he was when it came to just dealing with the pressure. So I want to take one more quick break, and then I want to ask you this question, John, and we'll have a discussion. Which comparisons do you have in the sports world or any world when it comes to historic collapses? So I want you to think about that, and maybe at home you could think about that. So we'll be back after the music on the Class X Podcast. Welcome back to the Class X Podcast. All right, John, do you have any comparisons when you think of historic sports chokes? Because I actually went on a Bleacher Report website or the bleacherreport.com and they had a list of the top 50, which I'm going to read to you in a second. But I was just wondering what comes to mind when you think of collapses in sports? A choke yeah. job. Um, the, fir- the first one that does is golf. It's the one I mentioned earlier in the podcast, John Vandeveld. Um, that one comes to mind. Um, the Falcons in the Super Bowl, like that's a whopper, the 28 to 3. Um, come back for the Patriots, you know. Um, the other Patriots one where the Seahawks could have just run the ball uh, with Marshawn Lynch, but uh, allegedly tried to get the MVP for Russell Wilson because they wanted him to be the face, and so they threw a pick. Um, those are the ones that immediately jumped to mind. What are the What are the top fifty? So the top fifty are really interesting. I mean, they're all over the place. Some were ancient, but what was funny is the number one, which I don't agree with was a New Orleans Saints situation. It's called the River City Relay. Have you ever heard of that? The River City Relay? No, but it feels like, you know, maybe a few years ago for a few years in a row, it was oh. like Epic Saints collapse after Epic Saints well, collapse. I, well, the, let me go to the, the River City Relay. Uh, my brother and I were actually watching it and it was just this crazy play. Look it up on YouTube. Saints get a touchdown with nothing, no seconds left. There were playoff implications, and then the the kicker, who was a great kicker, John Carney, missed the extra point. And this was back when the extra point was like, you know, everyone made the extra like point. From the t- it was a chip yeah. shot. And uh, you have to look it up. River City Relay. I thought that was funny that they mentioned that number one because uh, me and my brother and our mutual friend, Brandon, we would uh, jokingly say, you know, we got carnied afterwards. So that was kind of our, our saying, don't carny us. Or we got carnied because 
of that that historic miss, I guess. I wouldn't have put, actually, I would have put the, uh, I think it's called the Minnesota Miracle. It happened in 2018. I think you were at my house when that happened. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wow. That was brutal. And then, like, I think it was the year after when the Rams. Oh, It was, yeah. like, the worst what should have been a penalty in the history of what should have been a penalty. And it was it was just unbelievable that the guy got away with, like, basically tackling the wide receiver. Well, as a sports fan, I think I'm, as a Saints and a Kings fan, we've had two historic, yeah. you know, or I've had two historically bad ref situations. So, so here's some others. The uh, number two, actually, I'll read to you the top 10 and then kind of go into some of the notables. Number two is the Houston Oilers, the 1993 collapse, the AFC wildcard game. Yeah. That was a classic. With the lateral, yeah. Music City Miracle or whatever. Not sure if you remember number three. The 1927 Wimbledon with uh, Bill Tilden. I don't know what happened. There was a collapse. Who could forget? (laughs) You're going to like this because you have your Michigan hat on. C-Web. 1993 NCAA championship, yeah. uh, 1964 Phillies number five. Do you do you know what they're talking about with that? I don't. Uh, baseball, baseball, no clue. Number six is Greg Norman, the 1996 Masters. So Greg Norman did make top six on this list. Yankees in 2004 collapsing was number seven against the uh, the Red Sox. Nick Anderson made number eight with the NBA Finals. The 2007 Mets made number nine. I think they lost a division. Was that what happened there? I don't know. I think they just like lost Maybe. the division the last few weeks of the of the the season. Gary Anderson, which I think Sounds you remember, 1998 NFC title game, he missed a kick, basically. So there's a lot on here. I thought it was funny because they actually had the A's 1990 World Series, and that was the first championship that i remember that world series i was watching the a's against cincinnati but i don't know what the the choke was because they lost four games to one but maybe it was just because they were heavy favorites and they ended up losing it must be i feel like that happens in baseball sometimes um all time yeah carl malone made it 98 finals tyson douglas was on there the cubs and bartman was i thought that could have been higher on the list so it's quite the list, you know. I just thought it was kind of funny to read, you know. Did, so I, I guess you yeah. you mentioned what comes to mind, but hopefully the Kings are not on that list this year. This year, right, John? It's a, <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. Yeah, we'll, it seems we'll like see. I I take the standings and it looks like they might be playing the Clippers. I'm kind of worried. I heard the Warriors got a uh, Wiggins back and uh and uh, what's his nose is uh, getting some minutes. The Gary Payton guy. So it looks like they might be full strength. So I'm a little nervous. Me too. I don't want Me any too. part of that. I've been talking so much trash Warriors fans. So, yeah, I have a lot of students who are Warriors fans in there. They seem very excited about the Kings playing them. So, I'm trying to avoid that series. So, John, any final thoughts about Greg Norman um, as a golf fan? You know, is his do you think his career is considered a success? I ask that because he did win a lot. And if you watch this documentary, you think, oh, this guy kept choking. But the reality is, he did win a lot too so we should say that so would you consider him a success story in golf yeah i think he's a yeah i think it's just a he probably just should have won more i guess you know probably should have been like equal with faldo it sounded like you know there were a few that the one year they describe in there where he was like literally top two in all four majors and he won one of them but then like you know got uh you know was second and like the other ones 
So they called it like the Saturday slam or something because he was in the lead of, of all four of them. So I guess he should have had more, but it's not like he never won one. I think if he never won one, then it would be like, man, like that really sucks. And it would take like the the choke job, like all up in his head stuff to a whole nother level. But but he did break through. So um, I, I'd say he's a success. Yeah, me too. I, I would say, you know, my big takeaway and if you have any other takeaways, let me know, John. Mine was that, you know, there were a few factors. It wasn't just Norman, especially in the 80s. It seemed like there were crazy shots, like you said, 10 out of 10 on the bonkers scale. But 96 was all Greg Norman. Plus, the more he talked, the more I thought, like, this guy definitely caves under pressure. He seems to have issues, emotional issues. But what I like about it, one of my final thoughts, you mentioned Ric Flair. He was a great heel character, and I love that. You know, he had the cars, he had the helicopter, he had the the party lifestyle, and the players despised him. And so that's always kind of a cool element to any documentary. He was like a bad guy, and actually the losses made him more sympathetic to the public and I think to players also. Any yeah, well, they mentioned how well that he handled it, you know. They mentioned like how well that like because he got on the mic right away. They said he didn't shy away from it. He didn't try and hide in the locker room. He didn't lash out or blame anybody else, uh, which I wonder if um, losing or like that tournament, like the Masters that they focus on the 96 one that uh, maybe like him kind of choking it away with like some holes left to go. Maybe he had time to kind of like, you know, know, hey, these microphones are coming and, um, you know, what's the best way to handle it? Because it, it, I did think it was interesting. The whole doc, like the first half of it, he sounds like I think he sounds very uh, rational in the way that he talks about his own career. And he kind of like has a nuanced way of kind of like saying, hey, well, this happened, but this also kind of happened. And it just sounds like a very uh, probably like honest and accurate take, you know, until they mention about halfway through, they mention the golf gods stuff and the kind of things that make him sound like a superstitious native. And then he kind of opens up about saying like the golf gods or, you know, you're not going to have it on that day when that shot doesn't go in, uh, which then doesn't sound rational at all. So um, it is kind of interesting that he can kind of occupy both spaces. Yeah, I'm wondering if the superstitious parts came out and the emotion, because he was very emotional, like he was getting teary-eyed. And was that when he was at the Masters? Because part of the documentary is they go back to the Masters, to Augusta, and he plays, you know, by himself with the cameras and he's talking. I'm wondering if that second part was the emotions that come up when you are there, you know? But from a therapeutic standpoint, that's kind of a cool thing for him to do, right? It's it's good for him to engage with it and to maybe desensitize himself to those, especially if he's been avoiding it. I don't know if he goes there or not, but it seems like that would be a healthy yeah. thing to do, to you know, rather than avoiding it, you know. So, so you took the red eyes as him crying because I I thought it was like a THC uh, cannabis oh. situation or something, <laughs> like the way that he like he did, I don't know. Maybe he was, though. I could see him being teary-eyed, you know, kind of going over it. That would have to be weird, though, to go back to – for me, it would be like some presentation in, like, junior high that I choked on to, like, go back to the the projector, you know, and, like, try to, like, uh, you know, re-say my name or something. And uh, So, um, yeah, that would be kind of crazy to to go back and, and redo. It's crazy they let him back on the course to do that. 
because Augusta's like really weird about, you know, who can play it, when you can play it. Like, huh. I mean, that, that's all I've heard is that it's like a, it's not like any other course where you're just like, Hey, I got a film crew. Like, yeah, open up. So that was pretty cool that they let him come back. Yeah, it was. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Classics Podcast. Please, If you're a new subscriber, thank you, because we have some new ones on Overcast. And uh, if you're old or new, check out the blog. It's going to start, you know, I, I wrote an article about the Kings on there. John and I are writing an article about the Masters and golf in general. And it's kind of a back and forth that I think you'd like if you like this podcast. So go on the, uh, the Class X podcast dot wordpress dot com if you want to read our blog and uh we, we plan on doing more it's, it's it's a fun project for the both of us so thanks for listening to the classics podcast we'll see you next week <laughs>